Hi, welcome to our fourth episode of Mocha Talks. Our mission here is to inform and create discussion about racial disparities, social inequality, toxic masculinity, and other relatable social justice issues to impact at least one individual in the community by educating or creating the drive for change. On today's podcast, I have my co-host, Josue, and our two guests, Angelica and Ava. Would you all like to introduce yourselves? Sure. So I'll, I'll start uh, with me first. My name is Ava Carino. My pronouns are she, her, hers, or they, them. I'm perfectly fine with either or. I am a triple major at UNLV. I major in history, Asian studies, or specifically Asian American studies, and film all with a concentration in Filipinx cultural production. And I am also a part of the Filipino American Student Association, or FASA, in which I am the Cultural Political Affairs Chair, only half of them. And I am also the Vice President and AAPI Council President of Women, Women's of Color Correlation, or Awoke. Uh, do I get any sleep? No, I don't. So there is that. Cool. Um, I'm Angelica Tabuhara. My pronouns are also she, her, hers. Um, um, I'm majoring in public health at the moment. Uh, I'm a second year. I'm a part of FOSSA as well, Filipino American Student Association. I'm the other half. I'm the also the Cultural Political Affairs Chair, um, along with Ava. And I have a great time with her. <laughs> I'm also the Collegiate Youth Director for um, a community organization called NAFA, which is the National Federation of Filipino Americans Association, um, part of the Public Health Student Association and all, all the good stuff. And something I want to share about myself is that, guys, uh, mm, I don't know what I want to share about myself. My mm. dog absolutely loves her. That's Every single time she comes over, my dog is like, oh my god, she's here! Angelica is one of the sweetest people. Mama. You can share that. One of the sweetest people around. Yes. Oh, oh my god. Guys. Giving flowers to her copo? Yes. Stop, you guys. You guys are making me blush. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so they, they told you everything. <laughs> there we go. Alright. way? I don't even know how to follow that. Um... My name is Sarah Salas. I'm a direct instruction management. I'm a fourth year student and I'm the president of the Men of Color Alliance. And um, I'm tired. So, but I'm excited to get into this. So, let's do it. And yeah. finally, for me, um, not a, I'm not as accomplished as everybody here, but you know, I'm here. I'm doing my best. My name is James Wright. I'm a third year right now. I am public health major and a minor in political science. I was the former political, uh, political, cultural political affairs chair <laughs> at the Filipino Student Association, wait, what? Filipino Association <laughs> FASA. That beautiful thing right there. Sorry, it's been a long day. And I'm also the public relations officer at the Men of Color Alliance and also the indexer. And I'm trying to become a seasoned senator. So if I do get it, vote for me in November. And something I want to share about myself, I've been to so many countries that I just love all the culture and always want to experience something new and always willing to meet anybody. So let's get this started. So there have been uh, changes within the UNLV campus, especially relating to in-person classes. Some of them, almost 75% of them are now online. As well, there has been a surcharge that surprised a lot of folks. And what are all your thoughts on that? I, I guess I'll go first. So 
A little bit of context. I got that email about the surcharge while I was in Seattle. Uh, I have not visited my partner in over nine months, exactly 277 days. So I was very much like, I saved so much money to come and visit him and everything like that. So we were inside of a video game store at the University of Washington's uh, Ab District, which is basically like their little district in which there's like video games, a Target, uh, Buffalo Exchange, and like other food places there. I remember looking at that and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is this is like chicken nuggets. Um, since since uh, I, I'm very much a sailor of my mouth, um, I will be using other uh, words to uh, kind of replace them with. So basically, I was like, okay, what do you mean we're having like a $6 per credit hour surcharge and then like $8, $8 per credit hour for graduate students? I'm like, okay, we're in the middle of a pandemic and majority of Las Vegas residents had has either lost their job, know somebody who lost their job, or in close, in close proximity to losing their job. Las Vegas was one of the worst cities to be hit by COVID-19. Like as soon as COVID-19 hit and everything closed, I mean everything closed. I was also out of state when COVID-19 hit. So every vacation that I come to in 2020 has just been welcome to your life. I don't know what's happening, but here you go. So for me personally, my surcharge was around $100 to $150. I, I don't quite remember the number, but still as somebody who lost their scholarship because they took an incomplete because UNLV did not tell them that um, if you took an incomplete for the semester, you would not be eligible for a scholarship. Uh, it was also a matter of, oh my gosh, can I afford uh, my next semester at UNLV? So with all of that accumulated, I, I understand what UNLV is coming from because they had a large budget cut but also on the student level, it's also a matter of, okay, we're paying for tuition, paying for our textbooks, paying for just surviving life. I mean, I'm surprised we're not even being taxed for breathing oxygen at this point. <laughs> but um, it it's a matter of, can UNLV supplement those charges through either scholarships or grants or something of that matter? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And just to top things off, we're already having a hard time uh, adapting to this remote learning. It's it's all new oh, for a majority of us who have who aren't really experienced with remote learning. Um, we're all still adapting. So to add on to that surcharge, so our already like mentality of, of these these things, it's it's not it's not it's just, I don't see anything good coming out of it. I, I think there's alternatives to this. And I think a lot of us have just turned the other, like a lot of our um, our leaders have just not been listening to, like you could take out these these surcharges out of our, our rec center, things that we don't even have access to right now, and they're still charging us for it. I think it's important that we look at these alternatives and we take them into consideration because at a time like this, we can't afford <laughs> to add these surcharges. Um, yeah. It's even surprising. No, oh, you can go first, Jose. Uh, no, I completely agree because one of the interesting things is like how out of the blue it kind of came, like all the surcharges. Even though, but to well, to most of the student body, it was a complete surprise 
However, there was like a whole discussion about this last semester, and every all the students that knew about it, they showed their negative emotions about this whole surcharges. But despite that, it still went went and happened. So I don't know what it takes to really show UNLV that like this isn't something that's just okay for just to for them to just do it or to like, communicate that they're going to still proceed in doing it. That way people could actually plan for it. They could actually save up or do whatever they need to do to actually be able to pay for their classes, to be able to be financially safe and stable after those surcharges or after tuitions go up or whatever. Because yeah, I completely agree. There's so many things that we're not using this semester that that money can be taken away from to be used for those surcharges, to be used for like so many other things. There's so many um, jobs that were cut here on campus that those paychecks don't, that money just doesn't disappear. Like it was going to be used at some point. So they have to just figure out how to actually work it around better. What's even the worst part is that I, I agree with all of you is that there's a distant education fee with every online class you take so not only you're paying the surge charge fee you're also playing this distance education fee which doesn't make any real sense considering they did remove it last time because it's a COVID-19 epidemic it makes no sense to charge you all of a sudden but it's still the same thing we're not you know we're not forcing ourselves to necessarily to take online classes. We have to take online classes. I don't understand why the distant education fee rule from last semester. We're not forcing ourselves to necessarily to take online classes. We have to take online classes. I don't understand why the distant education fee rule from last semester is not being applied this semester. For the meetings for the surcharge and a lot of other student leaders voice their opinion saying this doesn't make any sense. If you're already charging a distance fee, education fee, why is this still here? And there's so many other fees, library fees, health student fees. Um, the other one, the, the rec center, what Angelica was talking about. It doesn't make sense that all these fees are here, but we can't utilize any of the services that are on campus. And yet, UNLV is so deaf to all our pleas for help, even for the students that are now even suffering because they don't have a job. Some of them don't even have a home. And even more, since we are a minority-serving institution, imagine all the minorities right now that already have to support not only their families, but also are trying to help themselves, the first-generation students that don't really have any more any help at all. And it's just surprising me. It's just surprising me to know endless means that UNLV did this surcharge. And it just continues on. And that digital... Um addition to your tuition and stuff is like my thoughts on that are that most of these classes most of the professors especially the ones that i've taken none of them know how to do an online class so we're being charged for an online class when the professor doesn't even know how to do an online class like i i'm full fully aware that like an online class is expensive because some professors are able to like properly do it and stuff like that but some aren't some are pretty old professors that don't even know how to do technology. So I, I'm completely against like having that addition to our tuition when we're not actually paying for the right 
quality of work. Yeah, and another thing with like the surcharges. So if you guys hear barking, uh, that's my dog. He wants to be held, but he cannot be held because I'm intubating. So you just kind of deal with it. UNLV also does charges on your levels of your classes. So if you're lower division, like 100s and 200s, you don't really see. You're not paying as much as as much tuition as other people. Now you get into upper division classes, like 300, 400s, 500s that's when they start charging so much more money so even if like personally in my degrees even though my professors necessarily don't ask for like 100 200 300 textbooks i am paying that amount of money extra to take their division classes and sometimes in my degree that's sometimes the only class available because i've already taken all the pre-requirements or the prerequisites just for example I had to go through numerous schedule changes because majority of the history classes on campus were either not being taught, they were being taught during an inconvenient time, or it was during late at night. Or personally, if you're a woman at UNLV, um, it is very dangerous to be on campus past a certain time. Yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. But like we could always even also talk about the alternative of the other percentage of classes that aren't digital, the just the in-person classes, and how there's no real like safety measures or health procedures put in place for those in-person classes because there are students that aren't able to really properly learn from a digital platform, and. You know, he's trying to do something with these in-person classes. So, I don't know, what are your what are your thoughts on the in-person classes and their safety procedures? Uh, I don't think it's enough. I don't think that there is enough details being given to students on how to follow these public health protocols properly. Um, all they're telling us is that there's in-person classes and that we have to go to them. And there's not enough details, not enough safety measures being taken, being given to students to actually feel safe get, coming to campus and going to these classes, interacting with students. It's, all I can say is that it's not enough and there needs to be more done if they really want to incorporate these in-person classes. If they insist on in-person classes, they need to give us the resources to succeed in these spaces and be safe. Um, if I remember correctly, UNLV is giving out masks, right, Josue? Uh, yes, they've stated that before, yes. But we all know that especially disposable masks, you're really supposed to remove them after one use. And I don't know how many they're going to give out and if they're going to give cloth masks. A lot of people don't take care of a lot of people do not take care of their masks, I'm gonna tell you right mm -hmm. now. Nor do they know how to properly use them. I feel like there should be a huge email where I think there was one, but a better one in a sense that these are the do's and don'ts. Yes, you showed us the do's, but what about the don'ts? Mm. I see people putting their masks like right below their nose and not fully covering the crevices or putting their mask on their neck. 
you totally defeat the whole entire purpose of wearing a mask. You've contaminated the inner side of the mask, therefore exposing you to possibility of coronavirus. It's staggering that they think students will easily abide and follow these rules that they post on an email. And just an email, by the way. And I guarantee you, half our students probably don't even look at their email often. Nor do they actually go through it very well. And so when they come, they're going to be wearing their own masks, but do they even know the proper procedures of washing their hands? Or some of them that may not even have the proper sanitation equipment. Like Some people can't afford hand sanitizer. That's a go- it's a given fact. Are these, is UNLV going to provide this to us? It's a very sad state right now. And on top of that, I feel like what they need to really express to this whole student body, I completely agree, James, is those don'ts and like the repercussions of not wearing a mask and the repercussions of not properly being safe around campus. Because you're just being, if you're not going to properly wear a mask, then you're going to be a danger to everybody else on campus. And another big fact is that, so if you take global cases of COVID, um, for our, you don't know, we already have 162,000 deaths in America. I don't know if that doesn't sound like a big number to you. That's a lot of people. If you're in, if you're familiar with the Las Vegas territory, Henderson is about 300,000 people. That is half, 162,000 people. That means half of Henderson have died. And if you don't think that really matters, it does. 162,000 American citizens have died from something that could have been prevented with proper, adequate anything, training procedures, safety precautions. I understand that our nation right now is not really (laughs) educated, unfortunately, but at least we can do something within our own community. And it aggravates me to no end that I see people not wearing masks properly or just putting it right below their nose and then removing their mask to cough in the open air. And I just don't understand. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it needs to be alarming that these, yes, sh- that in the beginning they said, oh, it's not as dangerous as the flu. Well, joke's on you. That was all false because we didn't know anything about the coronavirus. Now look how many deaths there are. And including people have had symptoms about, I think, I believe 50% from CDC. They have h- trouble breathing. They can't properly breathe anymore for the rest of their life. And these are people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It could be your grandmother. It could be your brother, your sister. It doesn't matter who. It can't affect you. So please do your part in order to wear a mask. It just aggravates me to, what, to no end. How about y'all? For me, it aggravates me just as much. So I've always been the kind of I will I will I will be frank with you. I have been the awkward Filipino at at my groups uh, pre college because while everyone else was either in nursing or in STEM, I was constantly the one being in history classes. Like, oh my god, why are we not talking about this? Why are we not like? Literally, what's going on right now is what happened fifty years ago, but you guys don't want to talk about it. And um, a lot of people, they are like, oh, it's just a coronavirus. It's like, oh, we've never seen this before. Yes, we've had 1918, the 1800s. What about the Black Plague that happened in the Middle Ages that wiped out majority of Europe? I thought that also happened too. And 
a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's the Asians to blame. Huh, funny that you hold that anti-Asian sentiment when that also happened in 1957 and in 1958. Funny. Uh, and another thing is that, uh, while I firmly believe that you should be listening to the scientists and people in public health and in STEM in the medical field, because that is what they're dealing with on a daily basis, okay? Historians are here to tell you guys the consequences of people not listening to scientists and what will unfold and seeing the patterns of what people have done back 100 years ago or 50 years ago or even 60 years ago and how it's unfolding now. I was just speaking to somebody uh, who was who was afflicted by the AIDS epidemic during the 1980s and talking to my mom about it, she was like, yeah, I could understand where you're coming from, where people are like throwing, just completely throwing this out of the water, saying like, oh, everyone's going to get it eventually, it's whatever, I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm like, no, because you guys did that exact same thing with AIDS, even though the scientists were telling everybody that you can only get AIDS and HIV through blood transfusions and uh, not proper sex, sexual education and health. If this, if the uh, scientists are telling you guys, wash your hands, wear a mask, maintain six feet distance, then you guys should be doing that. And it's, it's just insane how people are just automatically dismissing this as if it's nothing and are just, oh, go away so quickly. I shouldn't be over here fearing for the fact that I can't see my Lulu and my Lula or grandpa and grandma in, in Filipino. Uh, because either I have to quarantine myself for two weeks, I am scared that they might get it, or the fact that I have not been able to see any of my friends since quarantine has happened because I'm so afraid that either we might be exposed to coronavirus or things like that. I totally agree with that. I think um, what a lot of us forget is the purpose of why we study history in the first place, which is so that we don't make those same mistakes that have already happened we forget that you know that that's why we are pretty much forced in schools to 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 study history and nobody knows everybody just flips through the pages um you know just casual flip through the pages oh yeah you know this happened and that happened but we forget that the purpose is so that we learn from these mistakes and it's crazy to me that we're making the same ones when it's in the books it's there's literally evidence to prove that these things have happened and that we shouldn't repeat these same mistakes. So I totally agree with Ava. I'm, I'm right there with her. Um, but along with um, like how youth in particular are handling COVID in the community that I've seen, I've noticed is that, yeah, they forget that. Sure. Oh yeah. You get COVID. I've, I've had, um, I've had a couple, I've had two friends who've tested positive for COVID, um, they're both young. Um, they both recovered, but there's still that possibility that they have, they're going to have lasting effects um, for the rest of their lives. People are like, okay, yeah, we're young, we're healthy, we're going to recuperate just fine. Um, they also forget that there's others around them that, are, that aren't as healthy as them or don't have the ability, their bodies aren't capable of you know, recovering as well as young people can. Um, there's just so much, like, it's so crazy to me how inconsiderate some individuals can be, um, especially with our youth. 
Um, so I, I'm hoping and I'm doing my best and I hope everybody does their best to educate those around them about how dangerous this can actually be, not only for them, but for the people around them and for their own health, like if in future, in, for the future, for their future selves, um, you just have to take that into consideration and do the best you can to stay safe. I hope more of our peers actually listen to what you just said because <laughs> it's appalling how many people say, oh, I'm young. It'll be okay. I'll be all right, even if I get COVID. And I'm like, you're going to regret it when you're 40. I'm going to tell you now. I know I don't sleep <laughs> often or as it is now. I'm going to regret it when I'm 40. I'm going to be very frail. I'm going to tell you. I don't get enough sleep already. And I know that I should get more sleep. And we should all listen to our inner voices and do our best to help each other during this time. Because if we don't help each other, just more and more problems just happen. And a big thing within the Philippinex culture is that we need to try to help each other often. But even when we do try to help each other often, there is a divide between us. And that divide is colorism. This has plagued our culture for decades on end. And that is white Filipinos versus darker Filipinos. What are all, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh boy, I I could go on and on about colorism. Um, uh, just from my personal experience, uh, it's very relevant. Um, I went to the Philippines. Every time I go to the Philippines and I go to their grocery store, I'm kind of just I, I go through the aisles and I'm just I'm I'm in shock because there's always the, an aisle just dedicated to whitening soaps and. It, it, it kind of confuses me because, you know, our skin, our skin is beautiful. Uh, like, uh, Morena's... Preach. I, I, like, it's beautiful. I don't know why we don't embrace that. It's, oh, I know, actually, I do know. It's because <laughs> we glorify a lighter skin. In the Philippines, it's always... I was born there, so I, I know, like, firsthand that, you know, we watch these movies, everybody in these, in these Ameri we watch American movies, mostly, and we see that, you know, they're all light-skinned, even our own actresses are light-skinned, or they've gotten procedures done to Too be light-skinned, um, fair-skinned, whatever you want to, like, refer to it as, and it's just, so we grow into the society where we value lighter skin, and it makes us feel, it makes Filipinos feel richer, make everything that comes with light skin, right? And everything it, it and everything that it is. Um, I've been told by, by my, I don't want to call my parents, but my parents, like, tell me myself, um, like, that I, I'm, I'm looking a little dark today, you know? During the summertime, I get really dark because I tan like that. And they're like, oh, you got to stay inside more. They tell my sister the same thing, and it just, it just, trickles down it's, it's a generational thing where we've adapted to this idea where light skin is better and it just doesn't make any sense to me because like i said our skin our skin tells a story it tells it tells so much history and it's so fruitful and i don't know why we don't just embrace everything that it has you know presented for us so yeah it's just it's crazy to me and I, I have aunts and uncles who had procedures actually done on them to 
to like look lighter and it's yeah it just didn't make sense to me so i'm gonna talk purely from a Philippine American experience because I was not born in the Philippines. I've never been to the Philippines. I just know America as my home. Um, however, my grandparents were born and raised in the Philippines, as was my mother. Um, and so a bit of background is that my grandmother is a mestiza. She's Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish, while my grandfather is, from what we know, fully Filipino. So he's much darker than my grandmother. And my, my mother, she came out very white passing. She got majority of the Chinese and, and uh, Spanish blood in her. So while she does look Filipino feature-wise, her, her skin color is very light skin. And then when you marry a, an American man, you get me who's completely white passing and only looks Filipino through my nose. So I do have like the Pinoy nose. <laughs> um... And colorism is not as prevalent in my family as other families, primarily on my grandma's side because they're mestizos and mestizas, because they were like, they have Chinese and Spanish blood. My grandfather, he's like, I don't, what you talking about? I don't, I'm Filipino through and through. I don't see anything bad with that. Again, I'm also not very close with my grandfather's side of the family, so I'm not exactly sure. But I do know growing up, my my grandma has has since changed her language but i know back in the early 2000s when me and my brother were growing up she would say oh don't look negrito don't look black that's a that's very anti-black language and b it was that idea that if you appear darker you appeared uglier yeah that's the thing and you know throughout the years i've slowly been having my grandmother change her language and you know now she's surprisingly she's more liberal considering a lot of old school filipinos are conservative in ways uh so i'm very proud of that fact and she has also said to me that like i didn't know what i was saying was wrong but a lot of people don't have that ability to have their family members say that because it's just so ingrained either through intergenerational intergenerational trauma of just skin appearance and just appearances in general from the philippines but Colorism in itself is designated and stems from colonization and imperialism from both the Spanish and the American people. And to some regards, the Japanese as well, but that's only from 1942 to 1945. Um, even then, colorism plays a large role in how Filipinos are presented in the media through either film um, or TV. I mean, if you look at famous Filipinx American celebrities, a lot of them are white passing or fair skinned. And even then, when I look at cultural production of the Filipinx Americans and how they view themselves, it seems there, there's been a pattern, at least through 20th century media, that the darker the Filipino is, the more sexual they are, the more the, the ideocracy that they have within each, within each other. They seem more as if a a comic relief rather than a main character whereas the mestizo looking filipino is is the one who saves the day the hero of the act and the one that is like this this is this is who filipinos are these are the ones who are even uh representative of 
the Pinoy population. And if you want to go back further, you can look to the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, where they had Visayans and Moors and Igorots in displays because they were darker skinned than the pensinados of the elite and the wealthy uh, Tagalog people. So color, colorism from a historical aspect has a deep-rooted history that also stems from a lot of colonization and imperialism. Totally agree. Um, I do have a question for you, Ava. I don't know if we have different definitions, so I also wanted to ask, um, what is mestiza, mestizo to you? Like, what, what have, has your family told you, like, what that means? So mestiza and, mis and mestizo in my family mainly mainly comes from like European or like East Asian and American descent. So you're not, at least from what I remember growing up, you're not considered mestizo or mestiza if you're um, not li like light skinned or you're mm -hmm. mixed in with like someone from African descent, Middle Eastern descent or something like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I didn't have that historical context, but I was just, like, from, from my family, they've only told me, they've only referred to Mestizo, Mestiza, like, people as the people who are in generally, like you said, um, fair-skinned, so my mom would be like, Mestiza Kayosha, which I, this that's my dialect, um, which is Visayan, um, like, that girl is, like, she's fair-skinned, she's, and it was just, like, right off the bat, like, as heard, as soon as you heard Mestiza, um, there's, a bunch of context that comes with that word it's it, it comes with being fair-skinned in general it's you're rich you're pretty um versus whether versus you being a little more dark-skinned you're ugly you're poor um so that's why everybody just like pushes like even the movies i know people who prioritize like buying um buying whitening products versus like essentials because that's what all they really care about is like is their outer appearance and that's it's so crazy to me um also something i wanted to mention because it's always always bothered me um i want to talk about um presentation in like in our pageants like miss philippines like world pageants which i'm not really into i haven't really like watched any of that but it comes out because when filipinos blow up in the media um, people want to, Filipinos just, like hop all over that, like Manny Pacquiao, right? We have Manny Pacquiao or Bruno Mars, who is like part Filipino, but everybody like just wants to claim as, him as Filipino. So everybody hops on that. But yeah, um, our, our Miss Philippines, who is there, we've had two in the most recent years, who's won, she's, she won um, in the most recent years in the world pageant. And like, they're not, not to bag on like mixed ethnicities um but she's just like it i don't think it captures like i don't know filipina like like filipino just beauty because she's so fair she i'm not not say that like all filipinos should be like morenas or whatever it's just now we have that presentation and everybody kind of just hops into that like oh yeah like she's gorgeous i want to be just as gorgeous as her and it, it furthermore it just instills that value to want to be more fair-skinned to want to look just like the media presents them to be so that's something i just want to highlight because like it's like some girls don't even speak the language and i'm like um i'm like and not that you have to speak the language, but it's like I don't I don't see like any cultural like relativity 
it's it doesn't i don't see the tie i don't see the i don't see it tying together so that's something i wanted to highlight First, you want to go first, Josue? Oh, well, I just want to bring up how uh, mestizo um, is also a word in, like, Hispanic culture, but it has a completely, not completely different, but it has a bit different of a definition because it's more about, a ma- like, it's a person of mis- mixed race, usually with indigenous people. So it's interesting that in this connotation, it's more for people of more fair skin tone because... In Hispanic culture, it's people that are darker skin toned. Um, and no, I completely agree. Like colorism is just everywhere, and and like even even in Hispanic culture, like it's constantly there. It's constantly a thing of like everybody relates every single Hispanic or Latinx country to Mexican or just being just being Mexican, but. No, I completely understand about what you're saying. How like there's a lot of moments that you don't really see or understand how it relates back to like the Philippines or back to like the like that nation or that culture there, you know. But yeah, that's about it. I agree completely with all y'all. Um, so for context, I was raised in the Philippines for about eight, ten years of my life. Uh, going back and forth and I see it a lot within my own family because we come from a very lighter skin family within the Philippines region and we got a lot more privileges versus the other folks that were in our barangay which is a community or province as you would call it here in America and for my sister she became a model in the Philippines and with that she was forced on to go under a lot of well, skin whitening things, even though she already had lots like real white appearance already, as is as a Filipino. And it just took a toll on her because she thought she wasn't beautiful enough. And it really made me sad as I grew up and learned more about this, that it really takes a toll, especially within the people that are lighter skin in the Philippines. They didn't want this to happen, but this is a social construct that we have in the Philippines. And it takes an incredible toll on their minds. And even me, being almost completely white appearing it it's just sad because i didn't we didn't ask for this i didn't personally ask for this at all i didn't want to be the idol or highlight of my barangay at all i didn't expect to be on the stage of every barangay talent show or something like that because of my white appearing skin i didn't have any talents i'll tell you right now i spoke the galag that's about it um it just astonished me to the point that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of products just to lighten your skin in the Philippines. Anywhere that you go, you will find it on the sh- shopping streets. You will find it in your um, Siri store, which is like a little mini store in the Philippines, or your general store. You will find this anywhere because it is mandatory to have or else you are not considered pretty. And I tell you, that's really false. Everyone in the Philippines is pretty pretty. So I don't know why I said it like that. But... It needs to die. It just that entire construct just needs to die. I don't understand why it exists. It makes too much problems within the Filipino aspect, especially if you're not white enough, you can't become a like a politician. You almost never see a person who has fair skin in politics or especially in the te- entertainment industry. You'll find almost not a single actor or actress 
that is has fair skin. And if you are fair skin, you're not going to be relegated to a main role. You're going to be relegated to a helper role. You're going to be that person that is washing the dishes, cooking the food, that servant aspect. And I think it's just so disingenuous to the actual heritage of the entire Philippines before the colonization of Spaniards, Americans, Japanese. It's so disingenuous to the real heritage of the Philippines. And hopefully that we can learn here in America that lighter skin does not mean that you're more beautiful, that you're more powerful. And I hope we all can come to that one day. Yeah, and this isn't just for the Philippines. I think this speaks to the whole world because the colorism is something that that is relevant to everyone, to so many of us in, in different countries. It's It's crazy how much colorism has really been that forefront of like the defining our societies and our society's values it's, it's crazy so yeah i'm definitely with you with that i also want to highlight like besides colorism in our uh, community there's also that lack of not representation but rather community within uh filipino islands like we have over 7,000 islands over 700 languages of course nobody's going to speak the same language and it's growing up it was so disheartening for me uh, especially in elementary and middle school when I would find a fellow Filipino and I'd be like oh my god you you eat the same food just like me this is great but then they say they speak to me in Tagalog and I'm Bicolano which is another region of the Philippines and while there there's some similarities in words there's still some discrepancies and i'm not fluent in bicol anymore um my my grandparents uh early in my life they would speak to me in bicol and then slowly as i got older they would say okay let's just speak english because we can't exactly speak uh bicol outside anymore people would have like weird looks it's like why are you speaking something other than english what's going on here uh, especially in like food for less i don't know why it was up with food for less but so many people would constantly be like why are you speaking another language that's not english and it was uh, that sense of losing my language and not being forced but rather whenever i'm looking into applying to grad schools or internships or like you must be fluent in the Galog when I'm like, well, yeah, I can learn Tagalog, but what about my language? What about Visayan? What about Ilocano? What about the other languages of the Philippines? Are those not languages to you guys? Are those not good enough? So uh, it's it's another one of those issues where besides colorism, language is such a big, big thing. And like even then, like the LGBT community as well in uh the LGBT community in in the Philippines is also just a big thing because it's so it's so much easier to be like oh I'm Philippinex, uh, which includes the non-binary uh, individuals and folks. But in the Philippines, from what I've heard, it's like there is no X. There's just Filipino and Filipina. I think that really plays part within um, preservation of Filipino culture or Filipinex culture here in America, and how much American society ideals does change how we view things. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What do you all think of American media and 
its permeation into Filipino X culture. So let me go write my dissertation really quickly and give me like two hours because yes, that's basically the whole point of me getting my PhD uh, to be completely transparent with you guys. Uh, American culture has infiltrated Philippine X media and representation of Filipinos since uh, the beginning of 1898 with the acquisition of the Philippine Islands and as early as the 1930s with um, Gary Cooper starring in a movie uh, that was about, you know, Ironically, it ties in with the coronavirus. Uh, basically, Gary Cooper played a doctor who uh, came to the Philippine Islands during a pandemic and was basically acting as like the white savior. Um, and Filipinos uh, in that film were regarded as uh, stupid, as comic relief, as, oh my gosh, we didn't know that we had basic public health. Oh my God, look at this white man coming in. And those stereotypes of Filipinx people throughout American media just further proves the imperialistic values and tendencies of Americans. Uh, not only does it infiltrate media itself, but it also infiltrates music, it infiltrates the uh, representation and almost idolization of Filipinx women uh, through American men as there's, there's multiple books out there talking about how to score, quote unquote, with a Filipina woman or how to uh, get a quote-unquote submissive Filipina woman as your wife. Um, so those those stereotypes were heavily, heavily prevalent throughout the 1950s and 60s. And it only became even worse through the media with the passage of the 1965 Immigration Act. So while that did amazing things to the American um, society as a whole, um, in regards to that, uh, the exploitation and importation of Filipinx nurses also played a role into how they were represented in the media. I mean, you watch Grey's Anatomy and there's like no Filipinx representation. I'm like, how the heck is this a medical <laughs> show with no Filipinos? I was, I walk into freaking Sunrise Hospital or UMC and I see my tita, my tito, my cousin from another mother and hey I'm like, buddy. <laughs> I know it's a whole family reunion so the representation of just Filipinos it's, it's like two sides of the same coin where it's like they're regarded as like these, these wonderful pioneers in healthcare but then they're also regarded as comic relief You want to say something, Josue? You open your mouth. I thought you were going to say something, so I just stopped, too. You can continue first. Um, well, learning a lot. I've been learning a lot more about, like, the struggles of Filipino, Philippine X uh, culture and everything, as well as, like, everything into the media. Because, like, yeah, most cultures are just kind of disregarded throughout media, because media just paints a different picture for everybody. And it's interesting to see all the different aspects of that. That, like, before you would just, like, overlook until you really understand it or really, like, see the prevalent problem about it. Um, but I feel like cultural preservation throughout, like, 
everything. First, we have to actually get a clear picture from like the media standpoint. If like media can actually do a, a clear picture of some of all the cultures, then that would be even better. Because usually, the only one that ever gets a clear picture is the white man. It's like there are the white saviors or whatever. And in most cases, they never really are the saviors. In most cases, they're the ones that go <laughs> no. and they bring the armies, they uh, imperialize, they bring the disease, they bring all these different problems to that society. So, yeah. Angelica, oh. do you have any thoughts? Oh. You can go first, Angelica, if you'd like. You can go first, James. <laughs> all right, I'll go. Uh, yeah, just jumping off Josue's point, um, a lot of us do not know, especially in Filipinx or Filipinos or Filipinas, um, that America is not as gr- great as it seems, especially within the portrayal of the Filipinx lens. A lot of it is, oh, America's so great. I get to come there. I get to make money. I get to send money back home. They don't understand that a lot of folks struggle and lose a lot of their livelihood or in time to grow as individuals. Their day is spent in and out sending money back home to the Philippines. Overseas Filipino workers make up majority of the GDP of the Philippines. They send money back home so that their family can live. It goes a very long way in the Philippines, a dollar. It can buy you food for days, pay workers for four days maybe four depending on how much you want to pay them it goes far and long with what you could do with a dollar in the philippines and they'll work day in and day out these overseas workers just to hopefully one day go back to their families my mom has been here for 20 years recently became a u.s citizen two years ago and she wants to go back home but becoming a u.s citizen has stopped her from doing that especially with the new um with the Philippines and how it is right now. So I'm not going to dive into that, but it just sucks that if you look into the American lens and the Philippines lens, it portrays America as the greatest thing ever. And if you look back, there was a lot of genocide even with American military killing thousands and thousands of Filipinos and Filipinas and pillages and trigger warning, rape of Filipino individuals and Filipino individuals. And, but it's not portrayed because in the history books, when I studied there, it portrayed America as this great savior thing that saved us from the Japanese. But, you know, history is written by the victors. And unfortunately, that's almost all of Philippine X history books. And I did not learn that until I took a class here called Philippine X 400. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ava. I don't know if that was the right one. Was it, a- it was like Filipina... Uh, o and X experiences in America, uh, AIS 400X. Yeah, AIS 400X. And that was probably one of the most enlightening courses I've ever taken here with Christy Sancio Arnaldo, if I say that name right. Um, and it taught me a lot about Philippine X heritage and how much delusional it is in the Philippines and how they see as America as the greatest thing ever when in reality, they really screwed us over for years to come, especially with our current... Um, political atmosphere within the Philippines and I just wish it'd stop because this American portrayal is the greatest thing ever is destroying Filipino culture because it makes us have to you know don't eat eat regular spaghetti not sweet spaghetti because that's weird 
I, f- I want to eat my sweet spaghetti in school. People thought that was disgusting. And I was just like, I don't know what you mean. It's the best thing ever. And then I'm over here eating my turun. And they're just like, what is that? Is that is that a Spanish food? And I'm just like, no, it's Filipino food. It's just like, no, that's, that's Spanish food, dog. And I was like, no, this is my culture. And they're just like, but you can't have that culture. You're white. And that's a whole nother story of not being Filipino enough in Philippinex culture. If you're not this or that, or you don't meet these certain criterias, you're not Filipino. Oh, don't speak Tagalog? Not Filipino. But it doesn't make sense. There's so many languages. I'm from Pangasinan. I understand Pangasinan. Do I speak it? Nope. But it still makes me from that region. I grew up there. I live there. There's no, there shouldn't be any strict definition of what a Filipino is. And they're just like, but you're not Filipino. You're too tall. But what constitutes a standard Filipino? There's no drawboard for what a Filipino is. There's none. It doesn't make any sense that, oh, you're this and that. You're, not, you're too white. You're too dark. It's so... It's cr- okay, okay, almost slipped there. But it's just really bad. It just sucks that it continues on. And um, when I was the Cultural Political Affairs Chair for uh, FASA, the Filipino American Student Association... When I was tabling, there would be individuals that come up to me and just be like, you're Filipino? And I'm just like, yeah. And I would speak to them in Tagalog. And because I, you know, I was just assuming, I probably shouldn't have assumed, but they wouldn't know Tagalog. And they're just like, oh, you're Filipino, Filipino. And I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> what does that even mean? Filipino, Filipino. They're like, what? I don't want, what? I don't understand. I still don't understand to this day. But it continues on. What do y'all think? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I just want to quickly, because you mentioned um, you took um, the class with, who was it again? With with the professor? Professor Ronaldo. Dr. Yeah. Constancio Ronaldo. His name is going to give me a tongue slip one of these days. <laughs> His name's he, amazing. He teaches um, AIS 400X, yeah. yes. correct? Yeah, for last semester, and then this semester he was supposed to do... 102. Uh, no, yeah, he's doing one or two, and then he had another class, uh, Filipinos and Sporting Culture, but that didn't get enough students, so uh, it had, they had to be cut. I just want to clear out for, for the peers who are listening, and I totally promote taking these ethnic cl- ethnic studies classes Please. because you guys, should, you guys should invest your time and effort into these classes because they're important, they're... These are what this is what these classes are what keep cultural preservation alive first and foremost and it's really important but before I go into that um is is there a prereq for that class? 102. I, I believe there, there is it's 102. 102 right? 102 yeah. and 101. AI I both t- AIS 102. I only took 102. 102. It depends so okay since I'm majoring it it I guess it's different for me but uh I know majority of the teachers would just let you at least take 102 and you should be good. Uh, if you talk to Dr. Mark Padunpat, who you should definitely talk to guys, uh, he's the director of Asian American Studies, or Asian Studies there at UNLV, uh, amazing, amazing professor, and has honestly, has honestly been through it with me since he has known me since I was 18, and I'm 20 now, so. Quick side oh, note, yeah. the, the American, Asian American, um, program here at UNLV has only just recently started off. There are yeah, 2018. Only 2018. This has only started because of the activism within the Asian American atmosphere that want more Asian American classes. And we talked this in the last podcast, how there are no Middle Eastern 
classes that represent Middle Eastern folks here or diverse mm-hmm. diverse faculty. And we need to keep these things going on, not only for ourselves, but to show that our UNOV administration, that these things matter so that other minorities can also have the opportunity to connect with professors such as their own to learn and grow as an individual because it is important in our culture and whoever you are to learn about who you are as yourself so you can grow as a person and understand Mm -hmm. the importance of where you came yep please please join ethnic studies it is Mm -hmm. it's such a wonderful program and the teachers are there are absolutely phenomenal and definitely uh we need we definitely need more funding so that's that's one thing i'm just gonna be transparent with you guys we need more funding and then uh b admin can only get enough of me so much (laughs) please please join us because there's maybe like five of us consistently so definitely join our little tiny family we will feed you but please take off your shoes at the door Even on top of that, like you, you could join Mocha, Woke, Fossa to just learn more about the cultures. And like, there's so many clubs here on campus that are dedicated to cultures. And Fossa? Hmm? I, I said, I said Fossa. 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 Um, because like we're we just want to preserve these cultures. We want to build these cultures. There's so many people here in, in just UNOV that most of them don't know some of them don't know their own culture some of them don't even know what they are what they what they are what <laughs> culture they can even represent so just by going to these clubs going studying these classes going to one class you your mind's opened up way more than than you were before and that's all that matters that's really the goal that mocha and woke really want because that's because we're just trying to do an overarching thing of all the different cultures because there's so many problems especially here on campus that we want to get rid of and we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome and feels like they can really be themselves yeah there's no true diversity diversity (laughs) there's no true diversity unless you actually know where you come from so I, the thing is that, like, what I've noticed is that, like, we claim, like, diversity. Like, oh, yeah, we look, we all look different, yeah. But if you don't know your roots, I don't think you can claim true diversity. I don't, if you don't promote, like, your own culture and your, your, yourself as an individual in, in, integrated with your culture, I don't, I don't think there's true diversity unless you actually know these things so i think it's really important that we promote these 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 clubs these ethnic studies things like this so that we can actually achieve quote-unquote true diversity which is important very important preach very important closing thoughts everyone so i'm gonna add a quick side note uh sdsj which is the student Diversity, diversity and social justice. And social justice. <laughs> um, I am also the Appy Mate, which is Asian American Pacific Islander Middle Eastern Program Assistant. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, no uh, in which I basically create events, workshops, and whatever else students want to see on campus uh, regarding the Appy Mate experience and identity. And uh, I've 
personally, I've created, uh, well, I've done a couple of events called Taste of History, which is basically about how certain Apime foods came to America, how it evolves in America, and how to make it. Uh, so we had an event with Halo Halo, and sadly that was the only Taste of History because COVID-19 decided to come around and be like, I'm going to stay for a hot minute. It's okay. Um, Staying too long. Yep. The next uh, event that I was supposed to put on was called uh, Thrilla in Manila, which is all about the Philippine uh, O and X experience. And it's basically, it will be unraveled in October. So watch out for that. It is all about Filipino culture, food, and we will have a panel of people that will later on be disclosed. So definitely, if you want to see more Apime representation at UNLV, always, always stop by the SDSJ office and contact me or my supervisor or anybody in the office and just say, hey, I'm part of this identity. I would like to see this workshop or this event come up. How do I do that? And we will be more than elated to help you in your means. Trust me. And if you want any, you know, training or presentations, contact the peer educators at SDSJ. I'm one of them, so I can help you out on that. Also, just to plug MOCA, Men of Color Alliance, and uh, Woke, Women of Color Coalition, <laughs> um, we're also going to be doing multiple events this upcoming fall semester and one of them is going to be philippine x cultural night hosted by yours truly james wright and our wonderful copo chairs here and so we're wait what <laughs> <laughs> exactly they don't know yet but i've been planning this in the background and so i'll be working with these two beautiful individuals to create a wonderful culturally explosive impact event hopefully if COVID permits where we will celebrate not only Filipino cultural food, but also maybe karaoke night and other, you know, stuff, or maybe you know a dance. So if COPRID permits, we'll have six foot feet apart dancing. Don't worry, it will be done. They it can for work. Jesus and the rest of the Last Supper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but hopefully, if COVID permits, eventually we will have that happen. And Angelica, any closing thoughts? I'm. Thank you for inviting me. I, this was this was great. I'm so glad that I was able to talk to like-minded people, and I think it's really important that we keep having these conversations because I was talking to a mentor um, a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me how it's really important that we keep having these conversations with like-minded people so that we are able to just gain more insight so that we can spread them to the people around us because it's really important that we keep these thoughts these ideas this mentality alive you know so i'm really grateful to be here thank you for oh, thank you for inviting me um and i hope that more of us have these conversations um soon and from our wonderful president, Josue Rosales. Any closing no, thoughts, I, bud? I, I love this episode. This is great. This is very interesting. Eye-opening. So this episode and the last episode have been very... Um, Thought-provoking. Newer knowledge to myself, yeah. I love doing these things, even though it may not reach. But for the people that do listen, there's like five or seven of you. I don't know who you are, but you continue to listen to like an hour of me probably talking. And <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but thank you so much for continuing on and supporting us. And I really appreciate the people here that are here today. 
and come along and do their best in and out to change in the com- to do some change in the community and i'll tell you they work really hard in their own community wherever they are day in and day out to spread the love and spread their own history their mission their goals and they do it well shout out to Usway, shout out to Ava, and shout out to angelica thank you so much and for our motto we are here now and we're here to create change thank you so much for listening and i'm james wright I'm Ava Carino in Salamat. Angelica, go. Oh, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm Angelica Tapuhara. Uh, and I'm Josuero Salas. Thank you so much. <laughs>